We're going to read together from God's Word now. Um, Rex is going to continue to read for us from Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Thank you, Rex. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good reason one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received re reconciliation. Thanks, Rex. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come to this part of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the way that it points us to Lord Jesus and shows us what you have done for us through him. Please help us understand what we read. And Lord, please work through it to change our hearts, grow us in faith and assurance of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years uh, during the American Revolution, a pastor named Peter Miller endured consistent persecution from a man named Michael Whitman. Whitman did everything that he could to stop Miller. He caused damage to the church property, he personally assaulted him, he even took to a soapbox to publicly denounce the preacher's testimony. Whitman couldn't stand the Christian faith of Pastor Miller. It turned out that Whitman was a British spy. He was out to derail the revolution, however he could. But he was arrested, he was found guilty of treason, and he was sentenced to death. When Pastor Miller heard of Whitman's fate, he travelled 70 miles on foot to meet with the commander of the Revolutionary Forces, General George Washington. And he requested that Washington pardon Whitman's life. Washington patiently listened, but he was unmoved, and he told Miller it would be impossible to pardon the life of his friend. My friend? He's not my friend, Miller replied. Why, he's been my bitterest enemy. He's persecuted me for years. He's beaten me and spit in my face, knowing full well that I wouldn't strike back. Michael Whitman is no friend of mine. Washington couldn't believe what he was hearing. Tell me, why is it that you ask the pardon of your worst enemy? Miller replied, I ask it because Jesus did as much for me. Washington was stunned. He quietly had the pardon written up and given to Miller, amazed at the man's display of Christian love. And it said that Miller then quickly travelled back just in time to see Whitman walk to the platform to be hanged. 
And the traitor bitterly, bitterly yelled out, Old Peter Miller, he's come back to seek his revenge by watching me hang. But he was astonished when Miller produced the pardon to the executioners that spared his life. At the 11th hour, perhaps 11.59, Whitman was saved from hanging. At his darkest moment, declared guilty for his crimes, receiving the just penalty for his treason, seemingly unrepentant, still hurling insults at Pastor Miller as he comes to save him. But at just the right time, Miller loves him. He turns up with the pardon that he didn't deserve. He loves even his greatest enemy. That's pretty amazing love. But we're going to see this morning an even greater love. A greater love for enemies. A greater love that God has shown to us. Greater love that reconciles us to God and guarantees our future with Him. Greater love that causes us to rejoice in Him. This week we're in Romans 5 again. This, this is the last of our series in Romans before we take a break from Romans over the Easter holidays. But don't worry, we'll be back with more Romans in term two. But last week and this week, we're slowing down to take in the view, to marvel at what God has done for us in Jesus, to stop and to enjoy the gospel. So far, we've seen Paul pack so much into the first four chapters of Romans. We've seen how all people need salvation, religious hypocrites and shameful sinners, Jews and Gentiles. There's no difference because all have fallen short of the, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was the hard work of our run through the first four chapters of Romans. Paul revealed the depths of our sin to show us our only grounds for salvation, the solid rock of the righteousness of God. We can only be saved by Christ alone through faith alone. And last week, we stopped to enjoy the wonderful benefits we have because of the gift of God's righteousness. We enjoyed our peace with God, God's grace to us, our sure hope even in the midst of suffering and the blessing of God's spirit that reveals God's love to us. But that was only half the view. So today we turn to take in the rest of this breathtaking view. And we see why we can be absolutely 100% sure of these blessings. We see why we can have assurance that through Jesus we are saved. We're going to see this morning that we are loved for sure, saved for sure, and so we rejoice for sure. Let's get into it. First, we are loved for sure. We're picking up from where we left off last week. Paul has assured us of God's love. But have you ever felt doubt in your Christian walk? Have you ever wondered, what if all this is just make-believe? How do we know that this hope doesn't put us to shame? Look in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's a subjective, internal ministry of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week. As the Holy Spirit assures us of God's love in our hearts, as he points us to Jesus, to Jesus' death on the cross for us. 
See, the subjective internal work of the Spirit is to point us to the objective external work of Christ in his life, death and resurrection. That's why we can be absolutely sure of God's love. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is classic Paul, right? He's packed so much into these verses about Jesus' death for us. He says that Jesus died at just the right time. Like our story earlier, Pastor Miller turning up at just the right moment when Whitman was powerless to do anything about his hopeless situation. And it's when we were helpless that Jesus died for us. We've seen this again and again, over and over in chapters 1, 2 and 3. Remember Paul's headline statement in chapter 1, verse 18? For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the right time. That's the moment we need God's work. When God's wrath is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people, God's wrath being revealed against us, noose around our necks, just waiting for the drop, hopeless to change anything on our own. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us, for the ungodly. While we were weak, powerless, helpless, he died for us. And he died in our place. That's the second thing. What Pastor Miller did is only a shadow of what Jesus has done because Jesus didn't just pardon us, he died to pardon us. He took our place. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. Jesus... The sinless, perfect one died to take the penalty for sinful ones like you and I. Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. And he died in the place of weak, ungodly, sinful enemies of God. That's you and I. Paul really wants us to see how great God's love is for us. He wants us to get the magnitude of it. See it in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul speaks on a human level here. It's pretty rare for someone to die for someone else. Maybe someone would give up their life for someone who's really good. For someone they love, like a parent, for a child or a husband, for his wife. And we know this, right? This is so rare and so beautiful that we have all sorts of stories about it. We speak in awe and respect of the Anzacs who gave their lives fighting for our country. It makes its way into superhero movies where the hero gives up his life fighting to save those he loves. It's significant for us because it's rare. But no one dies for their enemies, for those who hate them. Would you? 
Think of someone who's deceived you, someone who's hurt you intentionally, slandered you to others, betrayed your trust. Think of someone you'd consider an enemy. Would you die for that person? If you could choose, would you give up your life to save them? That's the magnitude of the cross. Jesus didn't die for virtuous, respectful people. Jesus died for the unrighteous, for the wicked and ungodly. He died for his enemies. That's a love that goes far beyond any sacrifice we could possibly fathom. See, it's the cross that means we can be sure of God's love for us. Love even for his enemies. Love that's generous. Love that's for us. Love that's committed to our good. Even when we were not good. Do you feel like God loves you? How do you know? How can you be sure? Maybe it's easy for us to feel like God loves us when we're doing well. I've read the Bible every day this week. I've just done something really loving for someone else. I've said no to temptation again. Yes! God must love me heaps. But if we measure God's love by how we are doing, then we can never be sure. Because just one slip up puts everything in doubt. But it's not our performance that is a proof of God's love. It's the cross. It's a moment when Jesus, God's own son, willingly subjects himself to that terrible death for the sake of his enemies, for the sake of ungodly people, for my sake, for your sake. If you don't feel loved by God, don't look to yourself, look to the cross, look to Jesus. It's there that you see God's love on display, lifted up for all to see. He loves you. You can be sure. But Paul's not done yet. We're not just loved for sure. Paul says we're saved for sure. Paul returns to justification now, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, if the icing on the cake was last week learning that justification through faith means that we enjoy God's peace, grace and hope of glory, then this is the dollop of cream on top. This is the grated chocolate, the cherry on top of the cake. Because we've been justified by Jesus' blood, because he has righteousified us before God by willingly taking our place, we can be confident that when it comes to judgment day, we will be okay. We will be saved from God's wrath. That's what he's talking about when he says we will be saved. We're saved now in the fact that we're justified, made right with God through Jesus. But judgment day is yet to come. One day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. All people will stand before him to give an account. But Paul is saying that that day has no fear for us. 
we will be saved from the wrath of God, both the wrath that is being poured out now in chapter 1 and the wrath that's being sought up in chapter 2. God's wrath holds no terror for us anymore because we are right with God through faith in Jesus. Paul gives us two reasons we can be absolutely 100% sure of this. First, if God did this for his enemies, what will he do for his children? If God gave his own son to save ungodly, weak, unrighteous enemies, what will he do for us now that we have been reconciled to him? Now that we have peace with him? More than that, we have been adopted as God's sons and daughters through Jesus. If God did this for us when we were his enemies, we can be absolutely 100% sure that he will save us now that we are his children, reconciled to him. And second, if God did this through the death of Jesus, what can he do through Jesus' resurrection life? Life is better than death, right? If Jesus' death can justify us, surely Jesus' resurrection can do even more. Surely Jesus' resurrection will save us, will finish the task that he began in his death. That's the gospel promise. Our past justification and our present reconciliation absolutely guarantees our future salvation. No ifs, no buts, we can be sure. That's what gives us unshakable hope for the future. God has done this for us even when we were his enemies. He's done this for us through Jesus' death. How much more can he accomplish through Jesus' resurrection life? That's why we can be sure, 100% sure. Sure that, as Paul will say in Romans 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which brings us to the last point. Because we are loved for sure and saved for sure, we can rejoice for sure. All this means great joy for us as God's people. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word rejoice here is literally boast. Back in chapter 3, Paul said we can't boast in our own works, our own goodness. It's excluded because we can only be right with God through, by receiving the gift of justification by faith. We can never be made right with God by what we've done. But we can rejoice in God. We can boast in Him. Not because we've done something to earn God's righteousness, but because he's loved us. He's graciously given us his righteousness as a gift, a free, undeserved, wonderful gift. This is what it looks like to live out the assurance we have in Jesus. This is what it looks like for us to live in light of being loved for sure and saved for sure. It looks like rejoicing in God. And the thing about this rejoicing is that it's not based on how we're feeling. It's not based on my health or lack of. It's not based on the weather. It doesn't depend on how the kids behaved when we were getting ready for church this morning. Even suffering doesn't undo this kind of rejoicing. 
this kind of boasting, because it doesn't depend on our circumstances. It depends only on what God has done. So no matter our circumstances, we can rejoice for sure in him. I remember seeing this kind of rejoicing in Jess's grandfather, Lloyd, as he died of cancer of the esophagus years ago. It was a terrible sickness. We watched him fade away. When he died, he was only 40 kgs. But he never stopped rejoicing in Jesus. He would talk about Jesus every chance he could, to everyone he could. He looked forward to going to being Jesus, being with Jesus with confidence. He never lost his joy. Now, sure, he had rough days. He could be pretty grouchy sometimes. But he kept rejoicing in God all the way to the end. That's the kind of rejoicing that comes from Christian assurance. Knowing that we are loved because of what Jesus has done for us. Knowing for sure that we're right with God, that we have peace with him. Knowing for sure that we stand in God's grace. His attitude of generosity and kindness to us. He is for us. And knowing for sure that we have a certain future hope that will never put us to shame. This is the rejoicing, the boasting that's driving Paul. It's behind him proclaiming his longing to be with these people that he doesn't know in Rome, to be encouraged and supported by their faith and to encourage and support them in faith. It has him confident in the gospel's power to produce a harvest in Rome. It's why Paul's not afraid to expose our powerlessness in sin because he can boast in the righteousness we have in Jesus. It's the reason Paul is unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. This is the boasting that drives us to rejoice in God even in the midst of suffering. This is what it means for us to be right through Christ. It's not always smooth sailing, but being sure of what God has done for us in Jesus drives us to rejoice. Now, if we're honest, this is easier said than done, right? Sometimes our feelings get the better of us. Sometimes I'm all too aware of where I fall short, where I stumble. Those moments when in my sin or in my suffering... I feel like there's no way that God could love me. When I let my own feelings drown out the Spirit's testimony in my heart, reminding me of the cross and pointing me to the Jesus. Now, this kind of rejoicing doesn't mean that we won't ever have those moments. God's Word is realistic about suffering. But in those moments, we can cry out to God, we can groan to Him, and we can know that even then, God is not far from us. He's not disappointed and distancing himself because it's not our circumstances or our feelings or our performance that is the measure of God's love for us. It's a cross. And because of the cross, we can be absolutely 100% sure of God's love. 100% sure that we have peace with God through faith in Jesus. 100% sure that we can come to God with confidence. Alistair Begg tells this great story about that passage, of, passage from Luke 23 that we read earlier. He says, 
Think about the thief on the cross. I can't wait to find that day, that guy, one fellow, to ask him, how did that actually work out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never been baptized. You didn't know about a thing about church membership, and yet you made it. How did you make it? Imagine that, you know, he gets there and this is what the angel said when he met him at the gate. What are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Because well, I don't know. Excuse me a moment, let me get my supervisor. And go get the supervisor angel, they bring him back. Just got some questions for you. Uh, first of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? guy says, I've ne- never heard of it in my life. What about the doctrine of Scripture? The guy's just staring, confused. Eventually, in frustration, the angel says, on what basis are you here? The guy just looks at him and says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's our only answer. And as we've seen in Romans, that's the only answer you ever need. When God says to you, or anyone else for that matter, even your own feelings or fears or your conscience, why should God let you in? Because Jesus died for me. It's the only way to be sure. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be so sure of your love for us. Thank you for Jesus who died for us even when we were your enemies. Thank you that because of his death for us when we were your enemies, we can be confident that we will be saved on the day of judgment because we are now reconciled to you and have peace with you. And thank you, Lord, that because we can be confident that we are loved and we are saved, we can rejoice in all you've done for us. Lord, this week, as we struggle with our own doubts and fears and failures, as we face whatever suffering will come, help us remember that certainty that we have. Because the man on the middle cross who died for us said we can come. Comfort our hearts with these things so that we might rejoice in you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.